God is so good. God is so good. And it's so good to be together. In these days, you know, I really, really do thank God for his people, for you as the church. I thank God that I'm allowed to be a part of his body. I'm allowed to have fellowship with other believers. Oh, it would be so lonely in this world if I didn't have brothers and sisters to encourage me to, to just see and to just hold the same hope in our heart, just to sing the same songs. I'm so thankful to be part of a family. And even when I look beyond our church here, isn't it so great to be part of a bigger church in this land? Be part of a bigger church than even this land that extends right across the globe? It's so wonderful to be a part of the church that Jesus is building where the gates of hell will never prevail against it. I thank God for the church. I really do. Whether it's our church, whether it's the church in this city, in Newport, whether it's beyond Newport into the region of Wales, beyond across the UK and beyond the UK, across the world. We should thank God for the church. I mentioned it on, on um, Wednesday night in Ephesians 5. Paul tells us, he says, Jesus loves the church and he gave himself for it. The church has all of God's attention. The church, and I'm not talking about bricks and mortar, you know that. His people, you and me, we have God's complete attention. We have all of God's investment. The church, I thank God for, I really do, and I believe in the times in which we live, it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to breathe that wonderful city radiating the life and the light of Christ out into a dark world, offering hope, offering love, offering God's care, salvation, and forgiveness in Christ. The church is a wonderful, wonderful place to be a part of. It really is. Amen. Well, last week, we started a series of messages that we're calling Making Your Life Count. And we turn to Romans chapter 16, where Paul was commending people who he dearly loved, brothers and sisters who had laid their lives down for the cause of Christ and his church. And in this chapter, Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions 30 names of sisters and brothers who had made their lives count. And if we included the household groups that Paul also extended his greeting to, the number would increase all the more. Through the first 15 chapters of his letter to the Romans, Paul is dealing with great doctrinal truths of the Bible. It's a masterpiece. 
It's, it's a brilliant letter. It's incredible what this man wrote about. His understanding, his revelation from the heart of God gives us a complete picture doctrinally about the teachings of God's Word. The first 15 chapters holds great doctrinal truths. Paul outlines them very, very clearly. But in this 16th chapter, the last chapter of the book of Romans, Paul is talking about people that he loved. Last Sunday, we looked at Phoebe, a lady who was first on Paul's list to commend, a highly thought of lady in Paul's life. He commends her as a sister in the Lord, a servant of the church, a helper of many, and also a helper of Paul himself. If you remember, Paul, the apostle, was sending Phoebe to Rome to carry the book of Romans to the believers in Rome. That's what many Bible scholars tell us. And just this week, I was reading in the King James Version of the Bible, and actually in the King James Version in the last verse of Romans chapter 16, you can check it out, it, it highlights that the book of Romans was taken by Phoebe and handed to the leaders at Rome who were the elders in the church there. You can check that out in your own time. Phoebe was tasked with an incredible commission. This lady was carrying what is arguably the greatest theological treaty ever written. Phoebe faithfully traveled 700 miles over land and sea to get this revelation into the hands of believers in Rome. You talk about diligence. You talk about devotion. You talk about dedication. This lady had a fire inside her to obey Christ's call and to fulfill his commission, come what may. So that was Phoebe, and we looked at her extensively last week. A sister in Christ, a servant in the church, a helper of many, and one who delivered the book of Romans to the church at Rome. Now today, we're going to continue on and look at a dynamic couple called Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team. These were next on the Apostle Paul's list to thank and commend, and he calls the church to greet this faithful couple. They had laid down also their lives for Christ. They had made their lives count for him, and Paul wanted the church at Rome to greet them. Let's turn to Romans chapter 16, and we're going to read from verses 3 through to verse 5 to hear how Paul greatly esteems this couple. Verse 3, Paul speaking, he says this, greet Priscilla and Aquila, 
my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. When Paul wrote this letter to the Romans that was going to be delivered by the hand of Phoebe, Priscilla and Aquila are living in Rome. When you begin to look and explore their lives, you begin to see that this couple were a dynamic couple. They were mightily, mightily used in the early church. The Greek word that Paul uses when he asks the church at Rome to greet them means to salute them with honor, to give them the same deep personal respect that Paul would give them if he were there present. He wants everyone around them to warmly welcome them both. The verb is what scholars call a second person plural, which means very simply that Paul is calling upon the entire church in Rome to generously greet and show their gratitude to this couple and literally to enfold their arms around them. That's the picture, that's the scene behind the word greet. And note that this isn't just a suggestion that Paul is making. The word greet is an imperative command. Paul is literally saying, graciously, as an apostle to that church, I command you, I command you all to greet Priscilla and Aquila. That's how highly Paul esteemed them. And there was good reason for this. Because in verse 4, Paul recalls how this couple risked their lives to protect him. They risked their own necks for my life. That's how Paul puts it in verse 4. And we're not really told anymore how they did that, how they laid their lives on the line for Paul, but from that, we understand that this husband and wife team were not simply looking out for their own interests. They weren't simply trying to secure their own future together. They had embraced Paul. They loved Paul as a fellow worker in Christ, and that meant their complete commitment to him as a couple to provide, to protect even to the point of endangering their own lives. When it had come to protecting the Apostle Paul, this couple had truly embraced the command of Jesus in full when he said in John chapter 15, verse 12 through to verse 13, 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Priscilla and Aquila had emanated this very love that Christ had called his disciples to embody. They had received an unconditional love from Christ, and now they wanted to embody that love and give it as a gift to the apostle Paul in laying down their lives for him as their friend and as their fellow worker. And this is why the apostle Paul gives thanks for them. But not only Paul. Because he goes on to say, and all the Gentile churches as well. Give thanks for Priscilla. Give thanks for Aquila. All of the Gentile churches, not just Paul, were giving thanks for this couple. That's a lot of people. A lot of people impacted by this couple, by their faithfulness, by their absolute commitment, by their example. They had been so captured by the life of Christ, so captured by his sacrifice and his giving of everything that they, as did others in the early church, wanted to example that very same life. Who would have thought that simple tent makers could be esteemed so highly because that's what they were tent makers a simple trade a lowly trade that they undertook faithfully but these simple tent makers, this married couple, had devoted their lives completely to the cause of Christ and laid it down. And following Jesus and loving his people meant everything to them. And their lives hold great weight not only in Paul's mind and in Paul's heart, but right across the Gentile church. Over the last few weeks, we've read from Proverbs chapter 11. I'm going to read it again to you this morning because this dynamic duo embodies the very words that we find in Chapter 11 of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11. Let me read it to you again, verse 
24 through to verse 25 says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Aquila and Priscilla weren't renowned for being apostles or prophets or pastors or teachers. They just had a simple market trade of making tents. That's what they did. But who they were as a couple far exceeded what they did in their everyday trade. This couple's sheer generosity of life had affected such a large expanse of people that many, many thousands of people were giving thanks for them. What an extraordinary couple. What an extraordinary way to live, to give your life completely to the kingdom of God, to seek it first and to see so many lives blessed beyond your life. What an exciting way to live, not to live small, not to live confined, not to live just looking after number one, but just to pour out your life just like your Savior did and to see countless multitudes of people blessed and, re and, and reached and enriched, giving thanks for you. Phoebe was a helper of many, a servant in the church, and now we've got this couple who hold a simple trade, and not only Paul is giving thanks for, for them, the great apostle Paul, but all of the Gentile churches. I don't know about you, but the possibility of living like that excites me. The possibility of being that kind of person is thrilling. And it's all available in Christ Jesus. It's all available because that rich deposit of his life in our life, the very life of God, as it comes out of us, is such a rich river that can be such a blessing to the ones and the twos and the hundreds and the thousands and even beyond. It really can. Now let's move away for a moment from Paul's greeting to this couple in Romans chapter 16 and go back several years before when Paul first connects with them. Paul had first met this amazing husband and wife team at the end of his second missionary journey several years before writing the book of Romans. And it was troubling circumstances that brought their lives together. Acts chapter 18, there we read that after Paul left Athens, he came to Corinth. And it was at Corinth that Paul became acquainted with a Jew called Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Now the reason why Aquila and Priscilla were in Corinth 
was because they'd been expelled from Rome. Claudius Caesar, the Roman emperor, had commanded all the Jews to depart from the city of Rome. And we pick up on this in Acts chapter 18 and how their expulsion became the means of them meeting the Apostle Paul. Let me read to you the first three verses from Acts chapter 18. Starting at verse 1, it says this, Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had been expelled from Italy as a result of Claudius Caesar's order to deport all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Now, when you begin to track through the chapters in the book of Acts, we can see a long, complicated chain of events that steadily maneuvered Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla towards one another. Life circumstances outside of their control, circumstances that were filled with grief and pain and great loss, were the very means to bring them together until they finally meet in Corinth, it's amazing what God can do with our circumstances that seem so out of control. It's amazing how his sovereign purpose can weave together all of the loose ends that seem so ugly and unmatching. And God in his sovereign purpose can take them all up to himself and bring order for his will and his purpose in our lives, and that's what we see here. Claudius Caesar had expelled all the Jews from Rome. So Aquila and Priscilla were banished from their city, and they land in Corinth. And while they came from the west, Paul was coming from the east and the north. In Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit had forbidden Paul to go to Asia and Bithynia. So, he changed his plan. He changed his course. He changed the direction that they were heading in, and he lands in Philippi. And as a result of going to Philippi, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, he gets beaten with rods and thrown in prison. Then, after being released, he's further assaulted in Thessalonica and has to leave under the cover of night. He then moves to Berea, and shortly after, he gets chased out of there. Paul then heads to Athens. He preaches on Mars Hill, and he gets mixed reactions from the Athenians. So, he leaves Athens and finally heads for Corinth, at no point in all of that mix of crisis and circumstantial confusion did Paul ever question 
the Holy Spirit's direction. Paul journeys to Corinth. Paul's journey to Corinth was full of terrific challenges, near-death experiences. Aquila and Priscilla's journey to Corinth had also come about as a result of great personal cost and being driven from their home in Rome. But finally, in Corinth, something special is about to begin. Because as the three of them meet in Corinth, a lifelong friendship between them will be birthed. God is the mastermind behind it all. The chain of events that lay behind bringing these three together had been very, very complicated, extremely challenging. But what lay ahead in their future together would be worth it all. It was Paul who would later write his famous words of great assurance in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Time and time again, the apostle had seen how God's hand would use and manipulate the most negative of circumstances and use them for his people's greater good. Every negative circumstance that you face, every terrific crisis that your life might undergo can be used positively in the hand of God for your greater good. That is our confidence in God. It really is. And this was one of those great moments when they met in Corinth after an incredibly long chain of circumstances, they finally get to this city. It was one of those moments and all things working together for good moment for the three of them. And we've got to try and remember that. We've got to try and hold on to that. When good times come to an end and hard trying times set in to oppose us, when we feel discarded, when we feel banished because of the decisions that others have made that we have no control over, we must remember to hold on to the truth that our God is the God who works all things together for good to those that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's impossible for anything to work against you when God is working for you. It really is. It's not always easy to understand. Tears will be shed. Our hearts will be heavy. But beyond it all, we must trust that we are being led through every valley, every dark place onto the fulfillment of his plan for our lives. We sing, don't we?
even when I don't see it. <laughs> Even when I don't see it, you're working. Woo! Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker. Let's keep a light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. Hallelujah. That's it. That is who he is to us. That is who he was to them. What I love about this picture that is developed through the book of Acts in them meeting up amidst terrific circumstances that were contrary to them being together is that they never, they never allowed their personal crisis to hinder their work for Jesus. Even though Aquila and Priscilla's lives had been turned upside down even though they'd been expelled from a city where they had their home, not knowing if they would ever be able to return back there, they refused to be consumed in that crisis. The crisis for them had been the very means of starting an amazing relationship with Paul. They would work together. They would live together and they would pioneer the church together at Corinth from their home. They'd been expelled from Rome. They'd been banished to Corinth. But they didn't hold their heads in their hands. They didn't get consumed in the crisis. They suddenly come together with an apostle of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul, they buy a house in Corinth and they begin the church right there in their home in Corinth. How would we respond? I have to ask myself, how would I respond if I had to leave my home immediately with nothing more than the clothes on my back, nowhere to turn, not knowing when I would ever, if ever, return back to my homeland? How would I respond to that? When they landed in Corinth, they were ready to go. It was another new area now where the kingdom was going to be extended. And Jesus was going to be glorified. Aquila and Priscilla, along with Paul, used what they had from where they were to serve Jesus and build his church in the city of Corinth. Then, after 18 months of being there, we read that they leave Corinth with Paul to go to Ephesus. You can read it in Acts chapter 18. Priscilla and Aquila 
now buy a home also in Ephesus. They're doing well. God is blessing them. They've got a home in Rome. They've got a home in Corinth. Now they go ahead and buy a home in Ephesus. And from there, they help to pioneer another church, the church at Ephesus. Paul goes on. He leaves them to go to Jerusalem. There, his second missionary journey ends. Later, you can read it, Paul starts out on his third missionary journey. And he writes 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians, and he sends his greeting from the church that's meeting in Aquila and Priscilla's home in Ephesus. He goes back to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. He's staying with Priscilla and Aquila in their home at Ephesus, and he greets the church at Corinth from their house, where the church is situated. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and from Acts 19. It's a bit of a jigsaw this morning. You've got to piece together. But then from Acts chapter 19, we see that Paul stayed in Ephesus for another two years. Priscilla and Aquila, whilst Paul had gone on to Jerusalem, Priscilla and Aquila had stayed faithfully in Ephesus and done all the groundwork, done all the spade work, ready for Paul to return. When he returns in Acts chapter 19, everything just begins to explode. It says that the word of the Lord grew mightily. Jesus was magnified and everybody heard the word all over Asia. They had done the, the, the spade work faithfully for Paul. And then when Paul comes back to Ephesus, the church is mightily, mightily strengthened and mightily established in that city. This was a key couple in Paul's life. People who laid their lives down for the cause of Christ. Not only did this couple pioneer a church in Corinth from their home with Paul for 18 months, now we see that they had been instrumental in helping to build the church in Ephesus, hosting it in their home. They placed their lives on the line for Paul. They'd been a fellow worker with him in Christ, in the marketplace together, serving with one another. Their lives were intertwined as brothers and sisters. And when this couple finally go back to Rome, because they did, when they finally go back to the city, that they had been expelled from years before, we find them once again having church in their house. Because as we read in Romans chapter 16, Paul makes the point in verse 5 by saying, likewise greet the church that is in their house. 
They were consumed with the cause of Christ. They were consumed in laying their lives down for Jesus Christ and doing whatever they could with whatever they had, laying it all at his feet. They wanted to make their lives count, and they did make their lives count. And that's why Paul so highly commends them in his letter that Phoebe is taking to the city of Rome. Greet them. Salute them. Enfold your arms around them. All of you believers in Rome, you make sure that you look after this couple. And in my opinion, could be wrong, but in my opinion, by now, when this greeting came forth from the Apostle Paul, I believe personally that this couple were an older couple. And they needed, in the latter years of their life, the encouragement and the constant embrace and salute of God's people for what they had done in the kingdom. Simple tent makers. Simple tent makers that use their lives for the glory of God. Every church has to have people just like Priscilla and Aquila. Pillars, pillars in the church. We've got, we've got them here. And I'm not just talking about married couples. This was a married couple. I'm telling you now there's, there's individuals, Priscilla's, Aquila's, and couples in this church. Pillars, come what may. They're here. It's fantastic. It really is. Every church family has to have people like this who are really upholding the work, carrying the weight. They don't buckle under negative circumstances or negative events, but they always move towards that positive outcome in God's purpose for their lives and the extension of his kingdom. They didn't give up together as a husband and wife. Priscilla and Aquila housed three churches, what are known as some of the greatest churches in New Testament history. The church in Corinth, the church in Rome, the church in Ephesus. And they all began in their homes. This couple understood that their homes were not their homes. Each one of their homes became the house of God. Their finances were not their finances. Whatever they had, their lives were not their lives. They were being used for the furtherance of the gospel to the glory of God. I'm just going to ask James to come. We're going to close in just a few moments. Finally, when Paul was in the final moments of his life, about to be executed under the reign of Nero, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says these words, 
I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I know that that is what all of us want to be able to say when we come to that moment of leaving this earth to go on to glory to meet our Lord and Savior, Jesus. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. These are the final words of a man who was ready to depart. He'd run so hard. He'd run tirelessly, so diligently in the race that he had been called to run by Christ. And now it was time for him to cross his finish line. Paul's finish line was in Rome's maritime prison, otherwise called the house of darkness. Few prisons were as dimly lit, as dank or as dirty as the lower dungeon that Paul was in. Yet in this house of darkness, this man saw clearly, clearly ahead as he further proclaimed in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's no mention of this house of darkness. There's no mention of this maritime prison that was so infamous in that time. Just a man seeing clearly, even though everything around him was dark. Alone in that darkness, awaiting execution, Paul is alive with an end in hope. He'd lived his life for Christ. He'd used it to count for Christ, and there was one last thing that this great man wanted to say before going on to glory, and it's in verse nine, 19. He says this, before his departure, he says, and greet Priscilla and Aquila. At the end of this man's life, Priscilla and Aquila are just etched so deeply in his heart. He knows what they've done together in the spread of this gospel. He reminds himself of their help and their support and their protection of him. They'd laid their lives down, used their resources, come what may, just to establish the church of God in those great cities. And Paul, right at the end of his life, is not thinking 
about what fate is in front of him. He's thinking about his dear friends, fellow workers in Christ Jesus, and he just singles them out right at the end. Aquila and Priscilla, just everyday people, tent makers, living to use their lives for the glory of God. Their lives had had a profound effect on the great apostle Paul as his life had had a profound effect on them. They'd made their lives count for Christ. I can ask the musicians and singers to come. I'm going to pray right now because each and every one of us we want to make our lives count for Christ. We want our lives just like they wanted their lives to extend God's kingdom and bring Him glory. And that heart cry that's in you and me is going to be met. Your life is going to count. God is going to use you, irrespective of where we are in life, what positions we hold, whether they be high positions or very low positions. The Holy Spirit has a way of using each and every single one of us for His glory. I'm going to pray right now before we sing and before we go. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit, to use us, for us to be His instruments, and for our lives to be an extension of His generous love in a world that so desperately needs it. Father, we thank You today for Your presence in this place. Thank You for Your people Thank you. We are your people, called by your name. And Lord, we bring our lives before you like they brought their lives before you. And we say, everything that we are, all that we have, we lay it at your feet. Use it for your glory. Use it for the extension of your kingdom. I pray that our lives would be like Phoebe, brothers and sisters in Christ, servants in the church, helpers of many. I pray that our lives would, would also be like Priscilla and Aquila, fellow workers together, in the cause of your kingdom. Lives that many would give thanks for as we richly diffuse the aroma of your goodness and your grace in the world in which we live. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. So, Lord, as we go from this place, Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us afresh. 
as we go into our workplaces, as we see people out where we are in the highways and byways of life, I pray as your people we would just go about doing good like you did, Jesus, and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God is with us. Lord, as we go from this place today, I pray that that word would resonate in our hearts and we would just walk in it, being a blessing, being an encouragement, being a help, praying for people, speaking to people, loving people, being a light in the darkness. We ask it in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to ready ourselves to sing before we go. Thank you. Thank you for your openness of heart to receive that word this morning. God bless you. Thank you.